Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay, and he is Matthew Gregory. Welcome to the show. How you doing? It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a long time, but I'm excited. This is this is great. Oh man. Oh, we are so hyped to have good old Matt Gregory. Uh, he is a former View Hoops photographer. You may have seen some of his work on the site. He did football and basketball. We were also hallmates freshman year. Shout out to 3B. Stanford Hall, man. Oh, what this a time. <laughs> what a time. It was a madhouse. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, this is this is great. We we talked about sports back in the day in in Stanford. We had our own little live podcast just never made it to, you know, the internet. Yeah, it just wasn't on wax at all. <laughs> Uh, so we're also you... both on the same radio show, but at different times. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, Audible Chocolate. Shout out Becca Moore. Yeah, I was on the show for a year, and then you were on it a year after. Yeah, wow, blast from the past. I didn't. I haven't thought about radio or or WXVU in FM. so long. Yeah, wow. Last night was a huge W for the Wildcats. They came out. After a tough loss at Marquette in which the Wildcats had 12 seconds to do everything in the world and ended up doing nothing to finally closing out in such a strong fashion back in home sweet home, back at the pavilion, Nova hosting the Friars and Nova just took it to them at the end. They won 85 to 67 huge games from Eric Pascal and Phil Booth. Pascal leading the way with 23 points. Didn't miss. It felt like felt like he barely missed on the floor. 5 of 6 from deep, 10 of 13 overall, and then Phil Booth coming from behind with 22 points, 8 of 16 on the floor, 4 boards, 3 assists. He did have 5 turnovers. And then DCR coming off with a nice performance off the bench, 12 points, 4 for 4 on the floor, 7 boards. And then on the Providence side of things, you had Nate Watson, the big 6'10 sophomore, leading the way with 18 points, 6 boards. And then Alpha Diallo, he was their leading man coming in, but he only came away with 11 points. Not an efficient 4 of 11 shooting. Matt, what did you take away from this game? What did you see here? This was, you know, if you look at just the final score, it totally doesn't tell the full story because this was quite a game for a while. Yeah, no, this was, this is a misleading 18-point victory because for some reason, Providence especially, it's always a rock fight with them because Ed Cooley always has a good defensive game plan against Nova. He was doing a good job offensively, getting some people going. He really was working Watson on the inside because he saw he had a size advantage with Cosby Roundtree coming off the bench. And you saw Jay sort of shuttling Cosby Roundtree and Samuels in and out sort of because they were getting into foul trouble with Watson. And it was touch and go into the second half, like probably in the mid-second half, they gave up the lead. And they were down and you were like, oh, are they going to go cold again? Like, you know, they went cold against Marquette, but it happened early on. And you don't want to really go cold towards the end of the game. But Pascal just, oh, you're right. He couldn't miss. Towards the end of the game, it was like anytime he put the ball up, you were like, all right, it's going in unconscious from the field. But Cosby Roundtree was huge off the bench. Just the boards he got and he was efficient from the I mean 4-4 four, four, and then he hit his free throws and the team overall did really well hitting free throws other than uh Booth which is uncharacteristic for him. Overall it was it was like a good work it out type of game but there's still some things that obviously the team needs to work on going down the stretch cuz it's only going to get harder from here. I mean all the teams in the Big East are still going to be good. Nothing's changed. Yeah, great point with Providence. Last time on the last episode one of the questions that we got from one of our listeners out there from SNNJQ, Jerry Quinn, he asked us, what team would you not want to face in the Big East tournament? And I said Providence number one, just because it seems like historically, no matter how good or bad or average or mediocre Providence is, they always seem to give Nova a good fight. And we saw great evidence of that for at least 33, 34 minutes, because at the end, the Friars were the one who went cold there. They just did not hit a shot for the last five and a half minutes almost. Nova really clamped down when it mattered most. I think the one weakness you can expose with the Friars is, one, they're young. They, I mean, Duke and Reeves are freshmen. Uh, Ashton Langford, who's one of their lead guards, still a sophomore. And Watson is a sophomore as well. But they have a lot of underclassmen in their rotation. So that's one thing. I mean, you can kind of expose them. And they made a lot of sort of rookie mistakes. But 
they're not a good three-point shooting team. There's not really a single player that I saw that really scared me from deep, which is rare because they've had good three-point shooting players before, but there was nobody. Alpha Diallo's not really consistent enough to really scare you from deep. No, and that's the thing with this Friars team. You know, as great and as tough and as disciplined as they are defensively, sometimes they just can't buy a basket if their life depended on, on it. And also you look at A.J. Reeves. He was lights out from the three-point line early on, but since he got hurt and he's still trying to recover and get used to playing again at a high level, he hasn't been able to find a shot. The other thing is I'm really glad that Nova got all of their road games out of the way. Like They played at the Dunk, at Butler, at Marquette, and at Creighton. So down the stretch, they're going to play a lot of these tougher games at home. This is like a February game that you do not want to play at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. That is a rowdy crowd out there but this will be a team in the future like you don't want to look too far ahead but next couple years they're still going to be pesky because these these young players are going to get better as they go on as they stay here and when they're upperclassmen oh they're they're still going to be a thorn in the side oh yeah definitely and i think you could say that for a number of biggies teams out there in which they're very underclassmen heavy the young potential is very much there just give it a couple years and we'll be talking about how great this league is all around. Right. Who I was impressed with was actually uh, Sadiq Bay. He was really quiet in the first half. And I think he got all of his points more towards the end. Sort of like the real dagger was one of the two threes he hit towards the late second half when it like really blew open 10 points, like 13 points. And I mean, he played a solid game overall. He was in the game throughout. He wasn't getting shoveled out. The two people who kind of struggled because it was such a ticky tacky called game by the refs were uh, Cosby Roundtree and Samuels. But Sadiq Bey was pretty solid defensively throughout the game. He grabbed the second most rebounds next to Demir Cosby Roundtree. So solid game by him. Yeah, he really did have that three that really, you could tell, just got the pavilion going. The refs, though, they were just really killing the momentum here. There was little to no flow for a good chunk of that second half, and I think that's what killed Nova for a while. Yeah, that early second half, I think uh, Gus Johnson said there were three fouls in 17 seconds on Nova, just on Nova in one possession. When you're watching that, like, A, it's just an ugly game. It's not fun to watch. And B, at a certain point, you have to play basketball with a little contact. And both Ed Cooley and Jay Wright were just beside themselves throughout the first half and the second half with how the game was being called. And I want to say it was consistently called for both sides. I mean, it was 23 fouls for Providence and 20 fouls for Villanova. But I don't know, man. Some of them you would just like look at and be like, he didn't even touch him. How are you going to call that a foul? It was kind of hard to watch, man. Oh, yeah. Just like the final score, the fouls called or just the difference between the two teams, very misleading. It did not feel like it was that even, to be honest with you. It was, if you look at the, the halves, like the first half, I would say it definitely tilted towards Nova. They got, to the, they got to the line early in the first half. But the second half, I mean, Providence was in the bonus probably within the first five minutes of the, of the second half, which is just, I mean, it's a miracle that they won by 18 because that would be huge if it was a close game and Providence was in the bonus. Oh my God. I mean, that's, that would change a lot of things going toward down the stretch of the game. But I thought the way that Villanova responded was just great. I mean, you look also going back to the Marquette game and some of these recent games, Nova's really turned it on in the second half and they've really closed out very well, especially in this game right here. They won because they outscored the Friars 30 to 10 over the last 10 or so minutes in the game. That's unreal. Yeah, and that's all I think that's been the last couple of years that's always been a characteristic of this Villanova offense is Coming out of halftime, you know, they might be up by, you know, five or six points or even be down a couple points. But something that Jay and the coaches do really well at halftime is they make adjustments and they come out and they start, you know, they saw what Providence did the first half and they realize, all right, we're going to, you know, sort of adjust. The one thing I saw Providence doing offensively against Nova is anytime the Villanova came out in the zone, what Providence would do is they would kick the ball around. So say they would start from like the left side of the court kick it all the way around the perimeter to the right side of the court. Then they'd screen the interior zone players on the weak side and they throw a skip pass and have an open three. 
And in the first half, that was, I think, two or three buckets came from that type of screening. And you could tell that that was kind of killing Nova because it kept Providence close. I didn't see that happen again in the second half, either because they didn't come out in the zone or they made adjustments like, all right, if it whips around, you know, weak side doesn't have to collapse as hard as they were towards the paint. I think that certainly helped. But just looking aside from the adjustments made, you also had your seniors turning it up when it mattered most. Derek Pascal, lights out. I know some people in the comment section were clamoring this as like another NBA audition or one of those tapes that you can look at if you're an NBA guy looking at Eric Pascal evaluating him and you go, wow, this was a great performance. This was a great game all around. How did you feel about their performance? Do you think this helps his draft stock? What is your opinion on him? Because it seems to be that there's a wide range in terms of where he can land. Like some draft places or some draft evaluators have him as high as 20 or 25, while others have him sinking to as low as 45, 50. So he's definitely in that late first, mid second, maybe late second now. How do you view him? How do you view him as an NBA prospect? Early on in the season, before the season got started, I was reading some of the Draft Express stuff about him because he was performing really well in summer workouts, apparently, uh, and in summer showcases. So I was banging the drum on, like, he's going to be a lottery pick. He's going to kill it this year, and he's going to come out and be a lottery pick. Obviously, we got to, like, temper a little bit of the expectation here. The thing I've noticed with him three-point-wise is he's got a good three-point stroke. It's just sometimes it's not falling. It's just a little inconsistent. I think he can be a late first round, and my hope is that he, he falls in with a good team in the late first round they'll find a good sort of like support role for him because I think that's what everyone sort of has realized from last season and this season is he can shoulder a scoring load at the college level. And he showed it. This was hyper efficient, like hyper efficient. I don't know if you can consistently ask him to put up 10 of 13 from the field and put up 25 points and like carry an offense at the college level, much less at the NBA level. I think he'll be a good wing player for an NBA team and maybe like a small ball, like power forward, because I think he's got the heft to to bang down there. But I think he's going to have to fall in with a team in, that's been in the playoffs recently. It's like late first round. If it's in the early second round, not the Phoenix Suns, who don't really seem to develop anyone quite the way that they should because they have a lot of good players, but that team is still a tire fire for some reason. But I think Pascal can play really well in the NBA, just not quite what everyone thought. I think the end of the second half of the season last year where he went 60% from three-point range kind of put this unrealistic expectation on him coming into the season. He can score. Ask him to be the lead guy, that might be a little bit too much. Yeah, there was the Final Four game, which blew him into the national spotlight. You had LeBron talking about him, hyping him up, calling him Baby Millsap. And then Summer, just all the different showcases, and you had all these guys, all these reporters, draft evaluators, this and that. They were hyping him up. They were gassing him up and talking about his athleticism, raving about his performances. And then that really set the bar high. Like, what are we going to get out of Pascal this year? You know, while there were some up and down moments, it's mostly been up. And this Providence game was definitely an example of that. But I personally don't know how I feel about him in terms of draft placement. I like what you said in that, you know, I think him as a support player at first will be great. I definitely wouldn't see him being in a spot where he would be expected to be like a starter right away or a big contributor off the bench. Not that, you know, late first round picks or mid second round picks have that designation, but there is also the fascination with small ball with stretch guys and i think you know unfortunately for dante cunningham he came out when the nba just said no to tweeners but now a guy like eric pascal a guy like draymond green are totally loved and totally hyped and so i can see eric pascal getting a role there i think that his improving defense has been very big for his draft profile and his rebounding is obviously nice and his athleticism is something that wows you but i think as long as he can find more consistency offensively then we might start moving them up.
depending where you look, I mean, it's really, really mixed, but SI was not too high on him and they had him around hovering around 47 or 46. They dropped him a little bit from their previous evaluation of him. Yeah. ESPN has him right now. They just released a, a mock this morning, I think. I think it's insider protected. I think they had him in the late first round. I'd have to go back and look, but they they haven't soured on him yet. He's still late first round. And it's like you said, the athletic tools are there. He can jump through the roof. I was really resisting the Draymond Green comparison. Draymond's a good distributor, and that's the one thing I can kind of say about uh, Eric is that he can you know, distribute the ball, but he's not like one of those point forwards that you run the offense through or anything like that. He he can distribute at times. He's good at sort of the, the drop pass like underneath to like a slasher, but he's not getting you know seven or eight assists a game. And honestly I wouldn't I wouldn't ask that of him. If he can just defend and hit threes, he's gonna have a long career. I hate to break it to you, but the ship has already sailed on the Eric Pascal, Draymond Green comparisons. A few hoops. <laughs> Shout out to our guy, Jake Goffman. He wrote an article last year about Eric Pascal being a Draymond Green doppelganger. And then, of course, you know, next game, boom, he has the final four game of his life. Yeah. But I can see that. I mean, he doesn't really have the distributor profile in him. I mean, that's something maybe it's an untapped potential that we don't know about, but it's something that we haven't really seen a lot of yet. And also now that I think about it, when he drives to the hole, sometimes his handle's a little loose. Other than that, I mean, I would love to see him get drafted. I mean, so far, if you look at all the different NBA cats, they seem to be doing pretty well so far. You you, have, you got Jalen Brunson. He's starting now. Ron Archidiakono was dropping dimes in the starting lineup last night. And diving into the stands. And diving usual. into the stands. Right on brand. Right on brand. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> Omari Spellman is finding a role for himself on the bench. Mikael Bridges is starting. It, it's a great time. It's a great yeah. time. I would love to see him join that club. And we got to see Josh Hart, actually, last night, which was pretty cool. Yeah, he's still Josh. He's still, you know, repping the cats. He's still giving support. I mean, it's great to see your program and your players in the NBA whenever they come into town still stopping by and still showing love. And uh, Dante did that too when they went to Marquette. You guys probably mentioned it, but that's great to see. It's like they say, you know, play for those who came before and they're still coming back and doing that. Yeah, once a wildcat, always a wildcat. And I'm sure you remember last year, even some of the older guys like Kyle Lowry, he made all the Toronto fans pissed because he decided to play a little hooky and check out the national championship. Yeah, and he would bring DeMar DeRozan with him. <laughs> that like, was great. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love, <laughs> that was I love when they bring like they bring their teammates to to Villanova's campus so that they can see like the pavilion and be like, "Huh. So that's what you played in." All right. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Now, now Josh Hart is coming back, and he's like, wow, this is what it looks like. These kids are spoiled, probably. Wow, it doesn't leak when it rains now. That's nice. There are no mice running around. <laughs> I think we should talk a little bit about Phil. I don't know. I, I saw this in the comment section uh, today. I don't know if Phil will get drafted necessarily, uh, but there are some people online. I don't know which articles, but I definitely read it. There are NBA teams that are going to want to take a look at Phil as a guard. Again, don't know if he would even go in the second round. He wasn't projected in the mock draft that I saw, but he could definitely find a, a role as an undrafted free agent for sure. And I think any team that gets him would be getting a good player because he can score in bunches. Yeah, not just that. He's also a solid defender. Just looking at him, I'm sure like if teams were to call up Jay and ask him, oh, you know, what do you think about Phil Booth? I'm sure Jay could go on and on and on. He seems to be like the most respected guy in the locker room from various accounts. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he got a look. I definitely think he would. I mean, there's no shame in being undrafted. Look at Ryan Archie Diacono. He carved out a role for himself. And I started covering the Knicks this year, so I could go on about Alonzo Trier. I would love for him to have like a – Alonzo Trier, come out of nowhere. All these people who aren't familiar with Villanova be like, oh, who is this guy? He's kind of old. What's he doing here? And then just boom, just went to the heart of a whole fan base. That would be great for him. And the one thing you can't say about Phil is that he doesn't have the heart because, I mean, this guy worked through two seasons worth of injuries. He played hurt during the 2016 season, then, you know, had to redshirt medically again the year after because he didn't come back fully healthy. He's come back from adversity. He has the 
the will and desire to play the game. So you can't question his desire to to make it to the NBA. And now that he's the leading guy, we can see that he can perform at a high level. He can carry a team. He can he can go off. Yeah, when he's healthy, he's a great three point shooter. And the one thing you forgot about his or you didn't really see his freshman year is he can get to the the hoop sort of whenever he wants and he can get to the line and sometimes he'll just power through he had a a nice drive where he just powered through and dunked on province defender it was great two-handed slam yeah and i know the marquette game wasn't exactly a great showcase at the end there you know it was a brain fart but if you look at all the other different times he's been clutch he's been money i mean there's a national championship game obviously but various times a season where he's just put the team on his back and goes Screw this, I'm driving the bus home and I'm taking us there. Yeah, you always gotta everyone's gotta mention that national championship game, no matter what, when we talk no about matter Phil, what. When no you talk matter. about Phil Booth, it's a it's a requirement. But yeah, I mean like he's sort of the I think it was Jalen last year, but in a different way, he's sort of like the if everything else fails, give it to Phil and he'll find a way to at least put a shot up. It will be a good shot. Like he's not prone to just heat checking all that much like he has a good enough handle where he can uh, shake someone he's good at using the picks from Cosby Roundtree and Samuels to get big men on him so that he can sort of expose them and get to the hole he did that a lot in this game as evidenced by his nine free throw attempts but he's also shown a little bit more of a distributor role this year obviously because I mean he's the lead guard and we didn't see sort of that side of him because he's always had to be sort of a secondary option or a third option behind either Archer uh, or Jalen or Josh Hart. <laughs> you forget how many good players he's played. I'm like now just remembering all the players <laughs> I forgot about. You take he's, it for granted. You take like, it for granted. He played with Jenkins. He played with Hart. He played with Arch. He played with Brunson. And he played with Dante. I mean, those are those are all really great scorers. Like, and he was there, and he was as good of a scorer as they were and as efficient as they were. Yeah, we got to see Mikael Bridges break out when he became the leading man once he finally had a, the chance to be, quote-unquote, the guy alongside Jalen. And now we're seeing Phil relish in that opportunity, now starring alongside Eric Pascal. And these two seniors have been great. I forgot which reporter it was, but after the Marquette game, he said – I want to say it was Rothstein or Billis, but I, I don't want to say that. Just It was definitely someone big because they were, they were verified. That's when you know. That's when you know. <laughs> but uh, they said Phil Booth was the best pro out of everyone in that game. And I was like, ooh, is that a, is that a typo? Are we, are we being for real? <laughs> I just had to make sure we, we weren't overlooking anyone else. And he Wait, doubled down, and I loved it. They're talking about the most recent Marquette game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. After that game. After Marcus Howard dropped what thirty five plus, and that's was- why I was like, "Wow, really?" I was like, "I love it. I love the love." But I just needed to make sure. I just needed yeah. the confirmation. I mean, that's the. It's always hard for you to sort of quantify, like perimeter defense or man to man defense. Like you can, you can see good defense, but throughout the season, I mean, Phil is a lockdown defender. I mean, that was sort of his. His thing freshman year, he was a good scorer freshman year, but he was also one of their better defenders on the perimeter. He's still, even after the knee injuries, he could have easily taken a step back, but I don't see any any uh, ill effects from that. He's still just as good of a defender as he was. Yeah, pulling it up now, and it was actually Rob Doster of NBC Sports. His headline for the article that he linked in that same tweet was, Marcus Howard's 38 points, paces number 10 Marquette, and win over Nova. But he also said, Literally, b- before all that, before you get to the article, takeaways from Marquette and Villanova. Uh, Theo John is Marquette's Achilles heel. Phil Booth was the best pro in that entire game. And then other things about Sakar Anum and Jermaine Samuels. But he, yeah, he, he confirmed it. You know, Phil Booth was the best pro in that game, according to him. Right. Yeah, Despite I mean. The, the big game-changing performance of Howard. I guess it's the height thing with Howard. I think I think Howard can be really good. We don't have to talk about it, though, because it's a Villanova podcast. We could hash it out another time. But, yeah, no, I, I think Phil and Pascal, Pascal, I keep saying his name wrong. I'm sorry. They both can make waves in the NBA. They're not going to be like Mikhail or, you know, Dante getting drafted in the, in the lottery and 
making big waves in the preseason or during the season, but they can have long careers. They both have the skill set that the NBA is looking for, three-point shooting and defense. And can't forget the intangibles. We're, we're Villanova yeah. University. We're all and about the intangibles. They will dive for every loose ball. <laughs> they, they will pick up their, their teammates when they fall. I mean, you can count on them. We're going to have to wait and see. I mean, it's been a fun season so far, just watching them grow and watching them finally be, quote-unquote, the alpha dogs. I've been loving it. I mean, Nova, obviously, things have been going well so far, so things are going right. Nova hit the 21 mark. They're now 20-5 and overall, 11-1 in conference play. Nova will now take on the St. John's Red Storm in a rematch at Madison Square Garden this Sunday, 5 p.m. It's weird. When these two teams last met, we were talking about how they were both at the top. Are we seeing a changing of the guard here? It's the new up-and-coming St. John's versus the big dog on campus ever since pretty much conference realignment was St. John's on this upward trajectory. What's going to happen? Not only did Villanova win that game, but they've only risen to the top while St. John's has been so weird, so unpredictable, like a wild card. I mean, right now they're in third place. They're sitting six and six. This was supposed to be their resurgence. This was supposed to be their come up. And so far they've kind of fallen flat of that. They're hoping to put together an NCAA tournament resume, but it just seems whenever they do something good, Whenever they have a good showing, something bad happens right after. If anyone forgot, Villanova was losing a St. John's for the majority of that first game, and it was kind of looking like St. John's had arrived. And the one tweet I will always remember from the preseason was Rothstein from CBS Sports saying that uh, St. John's had the most talented roster, or maybe the best roster, in the Big East. I still need to go tweet back at him and see if he still stands by that because, they, yeah, they've fallen off since that game. And I think that's going to be sort of a theme with all of the games that Villanova plays for the rest of the year is how they played a team, a Big East team, in the first matchup is not going to be the same. Villanova's changed their ways offensively. I can't speak to what St. John's has done. Obviously, something has gone wrong because they've had some just strange losses. The Duke lost, like, all right, kind of makes sense. But they lost to Georgetown. They lost to Butler. DePaul is good this year, but, like, when you lose to DePaul, something's happened. Something has gone wrong with your formula. If you were supposed to be the contender, and, I mean, they kept it close with Seton Hall, but none of those losses were close losses other than the Seton Hall game. They lost to Providence by 14 points on February 9th. Like, that was not a good showing by them. It will be interesting to see, but I don't think you should take anything from the first game, the first matchup with Villanova and St. John's and say like, Oh, it's going to be a repeat. Like these are two very different teams. I'm interested to see what St. John's will do with their starting lineup because they came out in the first game with a type of lineup that we've seen Villanova play before uh, with like a, a small ball. The, the biggest person I think was six, six or six, seven, and they sort of took advantage of, of Cosby Roundtree a lot. Like, Cosby Roundtree ended up playing five minutes, and I think that was due to injury, but also they were dragging him out of the paint because they had four or five shooters on the, on the floor, and that was a lot of their success early on in the first half. I got to think that it's going to be a lot of Shamari Pons and see if they can get some of the role players going, like Marvin Clark or... Uh, LJ Figueroa. That's a very fair and valid point. I mean, Villanova, just look at the starting five back then. In that January 8th game against St. John's, Nova rolled out in the starting five. You know, you had Phil Booth, Eric Pascal, Colin Gillespie. That's still the same. Then you had Joe Cremo and Demir Cosby Roundtree. And that was just a recipe for disaster. I know you brought it up. They were able to spread the floor out. They had five different shooters, so they pulled DCR out to the perimeter in a way that was very reminiscent of how Nova absolutely negated Doka Azubuki last year against Kansas because he wasn't able to showcase his talents against the running gun type team that Nova was last year. All five, all five players can shoot at any time. And then you had Joe Cremo, who paired with Colin Gillespie was just not defensively the greatest thing. No. Granted, Gillespie has absolutely grown immensely since then, as have many players on this team. 
But just back then, it was just such a different team, such a different yeah. phase. Cremo, Cremo himself. I know people are kind of down on Cremo. Oh, it's a very uh, hot topic. It's such a, it's, it's such a shame that people looked at what he did at Albany, and no disrespect to Albany or their conference, but there is a difference between playing at Albany and their competition, and playing at Nova and playing against Big East competition. Not to mention that he's a grad transfer, which I think we haven't seen Jay take a grad transfer before for this exact reason. Like they've taken transfers before, like Eric Pascal, uh, Tony Chenault, Dylan Ennis, but those transfers, they're there for multiple years. So they're learning the system. They're growing within the system. Primo was on basically jump thrown on a treadmill that's already at speed nine and told, all right, man, you're a starter, figure it out. The defensive concepts and the offensive concepts are not easy to pick up. That's why you see a lot of Villanova players grow from their first year to their second year because they get more familiar with the system and they do less thinking and more just doing. So I feel bad for him because uh, I think everybody just was like, yeah, this is going to be perfect. He can shoot. He's going to do everything great. And it's not that easy, man. But he's he's grown since that game too. And I think he's picking his spots and he's doing he's doing well within the system. People just got to, you know, take a chill pill, man. Take a chill pill. Yeah, he is Jay Wright's first ever grad transfer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, and I, I really think there's a reason for that. Like, it, like Jay knows it. And I think the only reason Jay did it was because Dante left. If Dante doesn't leave, I don't think there's a, there's a need for him to bring Joe Cremo in. Not to say like Joe Cremo isn't a good player, but there was a a reaction to an event, and that's why he's here. And we'll see if if it changes how he thinks about the grad transfer market in the future. But it was a learning experience for everyone involved. Now I know we're going to definitely ride John Rothstein for that tweet. I do remember that tweet very vividly. Way before I, the season even began. Before the you, season began, I was livid at that yeah. tweet. I, would, I, I, was <laughs> I remember like, Chris Lane was fighting oh. off people who were ready to jump on him for defending that tweet. Oh my goodness. I read that tweet. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same team as last year. It's the same team minus a few people, but it's the same team. And uh, like, they're good. They're, I mean, Pons is really good. He's a really great scorer. He can get really inefficient at times but he scares me i would because he's like howard where if he gets on a roll and he starts making shots constantly i mean he can go off for 30 easy he has that type of potential it's more of the other guys clark and uh figueroa are probably their two better three-point shooters uh figueroa was actually really good in the first matchup he was four of six from three i guess he saw mustafa heron come over from uh Auburn and was like, this is going to be a fantastic team. <laughs> this, this is, is how be, it goes. This All is in on Mustafa. Mullen. <laughs> this is going to be Mullen's greatest team ever. I mean, what is Mullen? Can you tell me, is Mullen a good coach? Does he do anything on the sideline or is he just kind of there? <laughs> uh, my opinion, I think, has remained the same. And unfortunately for him, it's that. He's a great recruiter, great for the program. I mean, it's a nice figurehead to have, but he is definitely not the brains of the operation. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. It seems like the strategy stuff sort of falls to the assistants, which is good. You can have a good team and a good culture as a coach by delegating, but I think there's still a certain level of, you know, having a hand in what's going on that he just doesn't seem to have. Like sort of like Patrick Ewing, is really involved in that sort of he's the he's the comparison i have because they played against each other and now they're coaching but patrick ewing seems to be more involved in that sort of strategy the tactical stuff whereas mullen's just like i'm gonna yell at this ref and then when we get to the timeout the assistant coaches are gonna script up some plays for them yeah the thing is if you just look at st john's over the last couple of years like how many four point games did they lose where they were literally winning or they had a great chance to win and just couldn't close it out or couldn't perform in the most crucial minutes of the game 
And yeah, okay, you know, first, second time, it's like, oh, wow, they were just unlucky. But then, at, you know, four, five, six games, it's like, okay, there comes a point where it's not just being unlucky, probably on the head coach. If I remember correctly, this was one of those games where, like, they just needed to hold on. They they had Villanova at a, a sort of a struggle point, and then you saw Villanova making their run, and, you know, Mullen takes a timeout, but it didn't seem to do anything. Like, every time he took a timeout, like, they came out and they were still making mistakes, mental errors, and Villanova was just prepared. I go into these St. John's games, and I'm like, yeah, I could see this going bad, but I don't... They had one bad loss against St. John's, I think, last year, where I was, like, really mad that they lost to St. John's. But this year, I'm a little less expecting... Villanova to win. I actually go into a lot of these Big East games where I'm like, this is a coin flip. Villanova is a good team, but they're not the team of the last three years where I expect them to handle business against St. John's or a Seton Hall or teams like that. It's just like anything could happen. Then again, this is kind of a home game because they're playing at the Garden, and anytime they play at the Garden, like it's mostly Villanova fans. So. <laughs> they just got a second home game. I will give credit to the Johnnies. I feel like they've been packing the stadiums a little bit more this year. I mean, yes, I think that Nova will definitely be the majority here because St. John's has kind of fallen off and the hype surrounding them has definitely died down. But I am expecting a pretty good crowd, definitely a sellout crowd. If not by St. John's fans, then definitely Nova fans will fill out the rest of the seats like they have over the last couple of years. My one question for you is, I know you said that you expect some of these games to be coin flip, which is very fair. If you look at some of the games that Nova has won, you can make an argument that they probably could have lost or should have lost. You had the nail biter against DePaul. Creighton was a little close, but then Nova pulled away. There were some games just there where it was just a little too close for comfort and it really could have gone either way. The St. John's one, obviously, is also on that list, the first one. But which St. John's do you think we're going to see on Sunday? This is a St. John's team that has swept Marquette. They have also blown out Creighton twice. But then they follow those great things, those great actions, those great games with a disappointing loss to Providence where they put up only 56 points. They lost to Butler on the road. They lost to Georgetown at home. Wait, they beat Marquette? Yeah, they swept Marquette. They swept you- Marquette. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I... The first one was a blowout, too. They beat him by 20. Oh, my God. I, I, My brain didn't process that when you said that. I was just, like, thinking about it. I was, like, not even once, like, twice. Okay, well... It feels like forever ago. I'm not, I don't blame you. <laughs> I mean... I, I hate to say coin flip, but, like, coin flip. Like, I genuinely have no idea what to expect from this team because the two losses they've had in February have been bad. I mean, one was to Duke who could win a national championship this year. Granted, there's no no shame in losing to Duke this year. I'm hung up on that loss to Providence by 14 points. That's their second worst loss of the year. I don't want to do the transitive win thing, but I mean, they've lost to teams that Villanova has beaten and they've lost to Villanova directly, I feel like we're getting to that point where this is the point in the season where either they're going to make their run to solidify their resume going into the tournament, or they're just going to implode. And this is going to be a bad situation for Chris Mullen. It's going to be a bad situation for the team. Because if they start losing multiple games in February going into Big East tournament, that's like a massive disappointment compared to what they had going into the season. Yeah, at some point, it's fight or flight for the Johnnies. And if you look, they have six games left. And they're desperate to save their NCAA tournament hopes right now. I mean, they're an even 6-6 six and six in Big East play. But yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you. I don't think it's a coin flip. I definitely think Nova is the favorite here. But if you just look at the St. John's team, you look at a player like Shamori Pons, who, like you said, is similar to Howard in that he is a game-changing player. He can take over games. He's willed the Johnnies to victory in the past. He can totally turn things around. And he's one of those players that can totally get hot, be quiet for an entire 30 minutes, but then the final 10, when you need someone to be a hero, he can be that hero. He can pioneer that comeback. He can lead that game-changing run. But at the same time, man, this team just seems to shoot themselves in the foot. 
they definitely have the talent on the roster to do those upset wins like they did against Marquette. But at the same time, I think Nova should take care of business. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be a coin flip, but don't be surprised if the St. John's team makes it tough for a good chunk of the game. You want to guess how many times Villanova has lost to St. John's since, let's say, 2001. 2002. 2002. I'm going to go four times. Wow. Good guess. Four times. They've lost to St. John's only four times since 2002. Yeah, I guess I should be more confident of Villanova, especially in the in the Chris Mullen era. Like Villanova has handled St. John's pretty well since Chris Mullen became the head coach. But just this year I keep I like to keep my expectations a little bit lower and just say like this anything could happen and sometimes it's a little, you know, ridiculous in some of these matchups. All right. Well, we're just going to wait and see. Will this be a sweep for Nova, or will this be a season series split, much like it was last year? If you're not going to make it to the Garden, I mean, I'm planning on being there. I'm pretty pumped for this game. But if you're not going to be there, it's going to be on this Sunday, 5 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be on FS1, so definitely tune in. I think it's going to be a good time, and it should be a good game. I'm really selling it here, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Nova, Nova, take it to the Johnnies. Take it to the Johnnies. But anyways, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer the questions that you, the listeners, the fans out there have sent us. As always, you can tweet us at S-O-N-N-Pod. Ask us anything, and we will answer it on this show. Matt, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. I was born ready. First question is from Tom Coates. How much, if at all, does this team improve when Cole Swider returns? I'm... I'm going to say marginal at best. I was looking at Cole's stat line recently. I got sort of um, head faked because I saw his stats in the Big East play were like 57% from the field, 40% from three point. And I was like, wow, he's having a a good conference play. Then I like dug in. He's played three games because he got hurt. And all of those points and all, like all of that percentage came in that Providence game, which was his homecoming game. And then basically the two games after he didn't really do much. I think most of his contributions are going to come on the offensive side of things. If at all, I think he's still trying to find his role offensively. They had some good footage of him working with his left hand because that's his hand. That's not broken right now. When he comes back, it's also possible that Jay just kind of keeps the rotation the way it is as, as we get down the stretch, he does sort of rely on the people he relies on. So I would keep expectations really low, especially since I'm sorry, but he, he's not a good defender. Every time I've seen him play defense, I'm like, this is, this is not fun to watch him, him and Joe Cremo and Colin are just, all three of them struggle whenever they play man-to-man defense. Yeah, unfortunately for Swider, I think he's going to get the same kind of treatment as Samuels did last season when he came back from his hand injury, and that's sliding out of the rotation. Great if point. You, if you look at, you know, like you said, his great game was his homecoming, and just like Samuels last year, he was trending on the up-and-up. He finally put things together against DePaul, had that great outing in Chicago, and then unfortunately we came back, and then we had the news that he had broken his hand and so he was out of commission for the next five weeks, six weeks, right after that. And then by the time he came back, he was just out of the rotation. I think if Swider comes back, the only way he can really improve things or th- this team would improve is that that's another body out there that Jay has run out before. And I don't know how you feel about minute distribution, but we need more of that. We still need more of that. Yeah, there's <laughs> there are two people in particular in this rotation who seem to shoulder a lot of the minutes in uh, in the games. I want to be optimistic and say that not just as a body, but I think in situations that call for three-point shooting, that he can bring Swider out there. It seems like that was the main reason he was in the rotation over like Brandon Slater, who, by the way, played like a minute or two in this uh, most recent game against Providence. But digression i could see him bring swider out as like a three-point specialist basically if at all yeah and i know that he hasn't exactly been hitting a shot at at a high clip 
overall this season. But, you know, it's freshman minutes out there. You know, that totally helps with him. That Providence game was a nice return. It was a nice homecoming for him. Not only did he perform well, but Nova got the win. I'm not exactly sure where his placement will be coming back, but it's probably more of the same. This next question is also from Tom, and I know you addressed it a little bit, but he wants to know, or he seems like one of the people that you were talking about that is not a big fan of Joe Cremo. He wants to know, uh, why is Joe still getting playing time? The simple answer is that he's a grad transfer and he's only here for a year. They know he has the skills to contribute, so they're going to play him. I mean, it would be kind of, it seems kind of weird to me that you would take someone on as a grad transfer and then just because they're not playing well, you you sit them the rest of the year. I mean, he hit a shot, he hit a three-point shot, did some post-ups, which was something I saw on Twitter or there was an article about Cremo when he was at Albany that one of the things that he was really good at was posting up which is something that Jay has asked his guards to do in the past. You know, Brunson and Archie were both, that was kind of their thing. They could bang down there. And he's he's done it. He hasn't had a lot of success, but he's still, he's a shooter and he spreads the floor. And sometimes, even though a shooter isn't necessarily making their shots, just having them out there as a threat makes the defense sort of have to respect them. And it opens up lanes for Booth. It opens up lanes for Pascal to do what they need to do in the lane. So has he been what we expected? No. Did did people have a little bit too high of expectations for him? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you could expect someone to replicate 45.6% from three-point range year to year. He did that once. The other year he hit 37%, and he's at 37% again. So he's right in line with what he usually does. So I'm one of those guys who's like, he's doing fine. He's doing fine. Just let him let him do him. I was a Joe Cremo supporter early on in the year, and I think I was one of the people who defended him. Then came about a month or so, or I guess the last month, where I've kind of been hopping on and off the bandwagon, just kind of like a oh, we you know, we still need to be more patient, but at the same time it's like what was that defensive switch? What are you doing? Yeah, Why de- can't you hit a shot? <laughs> the, the defense, the defense is bad. It, it's that's the one thing is he he struggles man to man, and it's like really like it passes the eye test. Like when you watch him, you're like, ah, oh man, <laughs> you just gotta <laughs> stay, you just gotta stay in front of him, and then you say to yourself like, oh man, can I stay in front of someone like that? No, but also like. He's in the rotation. He should be, if he's being asked to do man-to-man defense, he should be at least a body in the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess his three-point shot has been a little inconsistent. I, I, I stick with him. I'm in the minority there. I will stick with him as a contributor down the stretch. And the one thing I also will say is his shot is really strange but it works yeah. for him. So I'm not out like what adjustments are they going to make to his shot in the middle of the season? Yeah. And with only one year to go, you know, it's not like there's much they can do. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> this is, this is his only year. So I will say the only reason why I haven't hopped off or the reason, the only reason I haven't given up full hope on Joe Cremo is that I am totally expecting him. You know, there's going to be a game where everyone is ice cold. Everyone is not hitting it. Maybe it's like the round of 32 or the sweet 16. And then we have the quote unquote Cremo game where he goes Cremo game. Yeah. Six of seven from deep orchestrates a second half run. He becomes a legend. And then we can no longer say anything bad about him. He'll take a charge when it really matters. Yes, 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 yes. He'll go six of seven from deep, but the biggest play everyone will remember was at the very end when he took a charge. Which he did. He took a charge. He, did take a, he did take a nice charge against Providence. And I want all the Joe Cremo haters to remember that. He took a charge. I almost brought that up. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, he did take a charge. <laughs> uh, we need to count that in the staff box. How many charges are you taking for the, for the team? This next question is from Briz underscore two. Now he wants us to dial it back a little bit. How well do you think Villanova's game plan was executed against Marquette? What could they have tweaked? Now, this question, even though we did talk about the game, it's not exactly 
old. I mean, we are going to see Marquette again February 27th in a couple weeks. How did you feel Nova executed, and what do you think they should tweak? I mean, I think the defense, for the most part, was pretty good. You held a high-powered offense to not that many points for a while. Yes, Marcus Howard went off, but everyone else didn't really, except for Sakar Annam. But you really contained the Hauser brothers. Offensively, yeah, Nova was cold to start, but that happens sometimes. They really dialed it up in the second half. What would you I, change? Uh, uh, I'm going to... Since I have this platform, I'm gonna get these oh, takes. Go for it. I'm gonna go take for these it. takes off. Um, oh, please. I think I think exactly what you said about defense. The the defensive strategy was perfectly fine. Uh, the only suggestion on the defensive side is do not let Sakar Anum beat you with 18 points. Like if you even stop him one more time, and maybe that's a win for you as opposed to a loss. Uh, but I am of the mindset that when you have a scorer like Howard, you let him get what he's going to get, and he's going to get his, and you focus on not letting the other guys, like limiting the Hauser brothers is big because both of them can shoot from deep. Not letting sort of those other role players around Howard get going because that's where it can get out of hand. Because if, if now you have to focus on Howard and then all the people around him, that's when you get into those situations where Howard drives and then he kicks to a Hauser and a Hauser hits a three. And now we got this whole situation going. So let Howard get his, which is what I think Jay was kind of like throughout the game when Howard would hit a shot, Jay did his thing where he just put his hands up. Like, don't worry about it. Like it's going to happen. Uh, it was the other players. Like when there wasn't a box out and one of the post players got a rebound and an easy put back or, you know, I think quiver, whoever was guarding Sakar Anum had a, it was multiple people, but he, he showed up and that's, that was a struggle. Uh, offensively, the second half, whatever they did in the second half, I'm having a hard time really remembering what the big difference was from the second half to the first half. I think the big difference was they made shots in the second half. When you go cold for an extended period of time, that's going to kill you every time. And in that game, that was the difference. When you lose by one point, any one of those like missed shots early on in a game can you can argue came back to haunt you. So defensively, do what they did. They did fine. Offensively, don't go cold for eight minutes. <laughs> That's my only advice against Marquette. And you'll be at home this time, so it won't be in Milwaukee. I think it was executed perfectly. Not perfectly, but it was executed well. Yeah, I just think that that first half cold streak, there were many looks that, you know, you've seen them make it before. And then at some points, you saw them rush it a little bit or take some not so good shots. And you can tell, you know, okay, I get it. Like you're trying to shoot your way out of this, but please bear down. And that's exactly what Nova did. When they bear down and play defense, I think some of the best plays they made in the second half came off of uh, great defensive plays. Um, they had some steals in the second half that led to easy buckets. You don't see them get out in transition very often. Uh, one thing that, especially when uh, when Quinterly is in, is something I would love to see, which is never going to happen, is off of a rebound. They have the sometimes they have the opportunity to push the tempo and like, get in transition off of a off of a missed basket. But Jay will have them sort of like walk the ball up slowly, and it's kind of like, why? What what are we achieving here? They use the turnovers in that game against Marquette to get out in transition. And they have some good players who can finish in transition or at least get fouled. Bay, Booth, and Pascal can all get to the hole pretty pretty easy and draw contact. Uh, and they're strong enough to work through it. I don't see how they could have tweaked too much. I'm sorry, Briz. Just it is what it is. Sometimes the ball doesn't go in the hoop. Yeah, we're just going to have to wait for that February 27 rematch. I'm very excited for it. Very yes. excited. Next set of questions is from Jerry Quinn. So his first one is, is NSYNC really Phil Booth's favorite band? Uh, that, that's a great question. Then you could also ask if the Odyssey is actually really Eric Pascal's favorite book. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know, man. Maybe. <laughs> maybe Zero maybe. to 100% chance that it is actually his favorite band. You want me to guess zero to one hundred percent chance yeah, right now? Yeah, yeah. Give, me, give, me, give me a percentage here. I'll put fifteen percent. 
See, somebody uh, tells me that, that that's probably his favorite, like, go-to karaoke band. Like, I can totally see him killing an NSYNC karaoke song. Yeah, you, I mean, you gotta be... When we say favorite band, what are we talking about? Like, favorite band could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. And, you know, I'm not gonna discount Eric Pascal's love of the poet Homer. Like, if he likes Homer, man, he likes Homer. <laughs> and I had to read the Odyssey... God knows how many times in middle school and high school. So, and ACS. Yeah, and ACS again. So it's I. Right. I get why he likes it. It's got some action in it. Got, got my boy Odysseus. You know, goes <laughs> around the world, does a bunch of things. There's a cyclops. There's a dog. <laughs> hey, there's a dog that lives to be like 200 years old. All right, that's cool. Great story. Great story. Jerry's second question is similar to one that we saw, and Tom had a similar question. But when will we see Cole Swider return to the lineup? Something tells me we still got a couple more weeks. A couple more weeks. Yeah, I, I don't have. I was looking at when Swider last played, and it was before the the Xavier game, which was January eighteenth. So we aren't even really, depending on when he got hurt in between that game before the Xavier game, we probably have two weeks. I mean, it's a, it's a four to six week injury yeah and i'm sure jay wright is in no rush to bring back a freshman so we are well experienced with hand injuries and uh (laughs) i think the the three hand injuries last year all were four to six weeks yes yeah they all were they all were so i think that times out to be end of february so we got some time last question of the day also from jerry quinn how much will we miss phil booth and eric pascal next year I think we're going to miss them for however long it takes for this Nova team to find their identity and jive. Just like we did this year with the seniors last year. Just however long it takes for this Nova team to get its footing under them, figure out their identity, and then start winning games again. Yeah, I agree. I think at the end of the, there are so many people right now that I've seen that have been like, well, maybe Phil and, and Eric aren't quite what we expected of them this year. I guarantee those same people next year, because it's going to be a young team next year, again, are going to be like, oh, man, I really miss Phil Booth, and I really miss Eric Pascal. Like, it's bound to happen, because even if they don't score, they both do a lot of great things for the team, and they've just been they've been here both four or five years. Uh, Phil might be six years. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> He's one of those forever, forever a, a freshman or forever a senior at Villanova, but yeah, you're going to miss them next year. I mean, it's going to be the first time Phil and Eric are the only ones from that 2016 championship left. Everyone else. Now, Tim Delaney, sorry, Tim Delaney. I'm not going to discount Tim Delaney. They were part of that culture change. So I think we'll miss them a lot. I think we'll miss them almost as much, if not the same amount that we miss all the other veterans like Josh Hart, Mikhail Bridges, Arch, Shefu, Miss, I miss Ochefu so much. Every year, I'm like, why can't we bring him back for a grad year? He's got another <laughs> year of eligibility. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Chef. What's cooking, Chef? What's cooking? What's cooking, Chef? Part one. What's cooking, Chef? Part two. <laughs> I I think there might have been a third one. Who knows? There, there might have been. Shout out Will Kolb. Or yeah, it was Will Kolb who made that. Shout out to the band. Shout they were the they're band. big backers of the. Uh, Daniel Chafu and Omari Spellman games. Shout out the band playing all of the lights and Sweet Caroline, no matter what. Oh, that's a that's a controversial take on View Hoops. <laughs> the second one is at least that's a controversial take. What that they play all of the lights constantly? No, no, all the lights is all the lights isn't controversial. It's the playing of Sweet Caroline. I mean, my only thing is they play it every game, and it, like they don't change it up. That's my problem, <laughs> and I'll say that to them. <laughs> they added Mo Bamba this year. I heard. Oh, great, Mo Bamba! That's yeah, a, yeah. That's wow. So happy, Villanova band. Follow me on Twitter, and we'll have a we'll have a discussion. Unfortunately, they'll probably still be playing Mo Bamba ten years from now. Oh God! When the kids don't even know what a chef <laughs> is. Oh, yeah, that's a good thing. They won't know who Mo Bamba is in 10 years. Well, maybe. He'll oh, come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> He's hurt right now. I feel bad for him, man. He was doing well. What else we got? Is that it? 
That's it. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or Podomatic. you got many, many options. Please follow the site at VU Hoops. You can do so on Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to check back every day. You know, we got the Arisen. We got the daily links. We got the game threads. We got the recast. We got the previews. Come join the conversation and the party in the comment section. And comment section is always happening. Always. Oh, it's always <laughs> popping in the comment no section. You know, what. you still remember. <laughs> yes, I I lurk in the comment section. I see what's going on. I know you got like three burner accounts in there. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Irapay5. And Matt, where, where can we find you? Where can we find you? You can you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, at Matt Chew Gregory. It's M-A-T-T-C-H-E-W. Gregory G R E G O R Y on uh on Twitter and you want to follow my Instagram. Oh uh, no, well no DM me on Twitter and I'll give you my Instagram out. Oh it's private, it's exclusive. <laughs> it's exclusive only. But yeah, thanks for having me on, man. This has been great. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'll be seeing you more on View Hoops. Are you, are you uh I know you've been dabbling a little bit. Yeah, I mean like if I could do shameless plugs, I do. Uh, I do post my my musings and my writings to Twitter. Uh, right now, I'm free agent when it comes to writing, but I do dabble in some Villanova basketball and some baseball takes. So check me out. There you got it. There you have it. There you have it, Matt. Thanks again for coming on, Nova Nation. Happy Thursday. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, God. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy yeah. Valentine's Day and <laughs> oh, Singles Awareness man. Day to everyone else who doesn't partake in that holiday. Shout out 3B. Shout out Tom Shea. Shout out Computer Engineering. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you can keep going, man. Just keep no, going. No. You still got the platform. <laughs> I think that's all it. I think I got everybody. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a great Valentine's Day. And Nova Nation, hopefully we'll have some good stuff to talk about on Tuesday. Let's beat some Johnnies. Stay blessed.